It's interesting because I, well, I say it's interesting. It's interesting if you're even remotely interested in this next thought. Even as I'm saying it, I'm losing interest in it. But uh... Can that be the trail? This week on Walking the Dog, I went out with a very good pal of mine, comic Alan Cochran. Alan and I are co-hosts on The Frank Skinner Show on Absolute Radio, and I'd heard him talk about his whippet, Lucky, but I was dying to meet her, so I travelled up to Manchester to go for a stroll with them both. We talked about Alan's childhood, why he went into comedy, the importance of joking about difficult things, and why he's actually more eccentric than people realise. I've worked with Alan every week for the last six years, and yet I felt I got to know him even better on this walk. And I found out he's not joking. He genuinely does put on a flat cap to take his whippet for a walk. I really hope you enjoy it. And obviously, you can listen to Alan every Saturday on The Frank Skinner Show on Absolute Radio. If you like this episode of Walking the Dog, by the way, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. I'm getting out of here now. Here's Alan. Come on, Lucky. I'm going to use the key to close the door. Oh, actually, you could close the door behind me, couldn't you? All right, see you later, son. Be good. OK, Al, I'm following you. Yes. Can I just Got say... A good chunk of time I'm really us. enjoying your dog-walking look today. Yeah, it's very... Uh, it's a bit northern man in, the, in a northern town, isn't it? Would you like to talk... Northern village. ..the listeners through your look today for walking the dog? Um, yeah, I have uh, a solid-looking brown leather boot... Uh, that's a habit I've picked up off you. It's uh, plural garments being described in the singular. <laughs> so instead of, instead of boots or jeans, you would have a boot and a trouser. Um, <laughs> oh, hello. What, what did Lucky do there? She saw a cat. That's one of her habits is to go a bit wild. She bolted, uh, the, like yeah. every man I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, then I have a, uh, a chino. Uh, I've got a. I wouldn't call that. I would think of a chino as a bit um, in the early days of Microsoft. Whereas that, <coughs> your look is a bit cooler. It's a bit well, more I'll French resistance. I'll take that. I've got a French resistance chino, um, a woolly jumper covered by a um, a green what I call army jacket, which I think I may have owned for twenty years. That tells you something, doesn't it? Isn't it weird when you get older and you start just going, it's not just a decade, it's decades. Like, no, it's a lifetime. Oh, oh, and man. then out, finally, oh, yes, the Fiesta Resistance topped off with... With a, with a flat cap, Yay. I believe. Um, because... And I'm making no apologies for it. You can take the boy out of Yorkshire. Yes, indeed. We should, or I should, introduce the podcast. Oh, OK. I'm if you want to do things all conventional-like, yeah, fine. This is Walking the Dog, I'm Emily Dean, and I'm very excited because I'm with Alan Cochran, who you might know, if you listen to The Frank Skinner Show, as being the co-host of the show, but also you'll just know him in general because he's a very fabulous stand-up. And is that how you like to be called, stand-up? <laughs> I'd like to... I love the idea that I like to be called a very fabulous stand-up. Would you like to be called that? <laughs> that was in my contract for doing this, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? How do you like to be called? Comic, oh, stand-up yeah. comedian. You know, stand-up comedian. Skinner, who we work with. Yes. I, I, he explained to me, and I never knew this, that there's a distinction for him. I think between comedian and comic. What? Can you explain right. that? It's yet another bit of his uh, resistance to Americanisations creeping into the world of UK stand-up comedy. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. I always just refer to myself as a comedian. 
I've just realised. <laughs> oh yeah. There's someone we haven't introduced yet, Alan. Charlie. No, Charlie's our producer, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Who have we not introduced? Oh, Lucky the Whippet. Can you introduce your dog? Uh, this is Lucky. She's a Whippet. She's, um, I think she's eight in human years. She looks great. She's looking all right, isn't she? She's um, pretty attractive. Also, she looks quite young for age. And I, when I interviewed Adam Buxton, he oh, got yeah. quite upset because I said, he said well, his dog Rosie was four, I think. And I said, God, she looks much older. And there was a pause. And then he <laughs> came back to it later and said, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of offended that you said my dog looks old. <laughs> and you think that's a weird conditioning and like, oh, humans don't like now? being told that they look old. Can I say we're in the north of England? We're in the north of England. We're in Manchester. And we're in... The dog is about to open her bowels. <laughs> Uh, She's absolutely beautiful looking. And where did you get Lucky? It's a strange moment from? to admire her looks, but yeah, fine. She's got if good that, legs. If that's your thing. Ow, she, she shakes when she goes to the bathroom, um, doesn't she? Who doesn't? <laughs> oh, you're doing the poo bags. Do you want me to do oh, them? Oh, no. You've uh, got your hands full, no, though. No, it's fine. I'm on it. I'm on it like a car bonnet. I used to do jokes about this moment in life. When I first got a dog. Which was, when did you get Lucky? Uh, ah. <laughs> That's one of the best things about having a dog called Lucky is that you can then use the phrase get lucky all the time. <laughs> oh, and, uh, I just realised what I said. <laughs> when did oh, I get lucky? Ask me know? no questions, I'll tell you no lies. <laughs> I feel really funny now. <laughs> I think that's the first time in my life I've ever made a joke. Like I've ever done a joke. Like, <laughs> it was an accidental one though. Accidental. I don't think you can take any credit for it. No. <laughs> tell me about when you got lucky, Al. <laughs> we got lucky about... <laughs> <laughs> seven really years like ago. It. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the unintended consequences <laughs> of changing her name to Lucky. There we go. Poo in the bin. Job done. Uh, Your other half earlier gone, told me her Lucky's real name. Oh yeah. Which is? Um, it's quite a big handle because she's uh, pure blood. Um, it's Lacey Witchetty Moonbeam Goddess. <laughs> Oh God, now people will know her lineage. They'll be able to Google it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, okay, we've done the hazards now. We've, we've crossed all the hazards. Now we're just gonna walk into the, this bit here. It's Lovely. gonna be perfect. Come on, Lucky. Oh, it's a bit wet though. That's okay. Sorry. Part of a dog walk. Ah, oh, it is, yeah. Um, we got her I think my son, yeah, I think um, I think we just decided. At the time I quite liked running and I thought it would be quite a good thing to have a dog and go running with. And, uh, and then we did some investigation. I'd never had a dog. Um, my wife's family had had dogs, but, you know, we kind of wanted one that would be gentle around children but not too exerting and not too worried if it was left in the house sometimes for a little while yeah because some are really high maintenance and whippets are really not they're really quite low maintenance really? while still not being zero but i think if you want a zero maintenance dog you don't want a dog so don't <laughs> get a dog <laughs> uh, but i uh i don't even go running now but i quite like walking her Although when I tell my jokes about her, on the rare occasions that I do, when I first, when we first got her, I, I developed lots of material about having my first dog. Go on, go. Are you taking off the lead, Al? Yeah, I'm this really bold like that. Um, she'll probably not venture very far. Oh, 
Oh, do you know, she's so gentle, isn't she? Yeah, she's a bit timid today. I think is possibly she? because uh, Hello, she's thinking, why is he walking me? He never does anything. He spends <laughs> most of his time on the couch. <laughs> and what, who's he talking to? He never talks oh, to anyone. Lucky. That's what she's thinking. She is so beautiful. Come on, girl. Come on, Lucky. Um, oh, she's lovely out. So, sorry, you were saying, yeah, about... Oh, I don't know. I was boring on about something. Um, yeah, when I tell jokes about the dog, I feel like I really don't walk her enough to earn the right to tell these jokes. <laughs> um, so did you not have any pets when you were growing up, Al? I had a goldfish called Wum, W-U-M, because apparently it was meant to be called William and I couldn't say it properly, so the goldfish became called Wum. Um, and, and we found it dead in the bowl when we got back after seeing the film Condor Man. So those two were always connected for me. Oh, always. Wow. Oh wow, what's this coming up ahead? We've got a bit this of a... Look, it looks like a bit of a lurchery. Hello. You right? Hello. Hello. Oh yes, it is a lurcher. Hello, gorgeous, with a really brilliant wonky hanging out tongue. They all know each other, the sight hounds. Were you born in Glasgow, Al? I was born in Glasgow and then moved to Ayrshire uh, to Kilwinning, a place called Kilwinning. And is that then, in Scotland? Yeah, okay. that's in Ayrshire. Look, can you cut out where I say, is that in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't. Um, come on, girl. And uh, then? Yeah, and then we moved to, um, oh, for various reasons. Uh, there was quite a bit of moving in my childhood. We moved from there to Somerset, and then from Somerset to Yorkshire. And why did you move? Uh, I think it was basically my mum and dad moved from Glasgow to Ayrshire for, I don't know, family reasons or work or yeah. wanted to live in Ayrshire, I guess. And then my dad died and my mum met somebody else and they decided to move to Somerset. Mm. And then... And uh, you would have been like four or five then or something, maybe? Uh, I was four when my dad died, yeah. but I think I was a bit older than that when we moved to Somerset. And then... We moved from Somerset to Yorkshire just before my eighth birthday, so... So uh, that's probably the place you have the strongest memory of in some ways. Of is, where? Is growing up in Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I remember, it's a really weird memory, I remember hearing my Scottish accent for the first time in Yorkshire, even though I'd lived in England for two years in um, Somerset. And, and the kids in Yorkshire were calling me haggis and flying Scotsman and all this stuff. And I remember suddenly it dawning on me, oh, they can hear it. Oh, and now I can hear it. Like it all slows down like a John Woo film in that moment yeah. in my memory now. And did you think I better lose this so I sound like everyone else? Um, well, it does seem that way now that I talk like this, doesn't it? But I don't remember thinking, oh, I should lose it. Because I hadn't in Somerset, but I yeah. guess, you know. So you said you were you were four when your dad died. Do yeah. You, do you remember that at all, Al? Yeah. Um, oh, she's after a squirrel. Just we just almost hit a moment of um, deep emotional sentimentality, and then thankfully nature kicked <laughs> in and the dog chased the squirrel. So. Um, Oh, we were at my dad's death. Yeah, we? do you are you okay talking about that? <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Are you at sure? All. It's a long time ago. 
I think it would be a horrible double standard of me to say that I didn't want to talk about it now, given that I quite often lob it in like a hand grenade to conversations with people whose dads I know for a fact are alive. <laughs> well, you do do that, and you know what? I've learnt, I like that you do that, and, well, I want to get back to your, your dad, but just quickly, I want to say to you that I've noticed it's something you do, and I talk, I lost, as you know, my sister and my parents, and I sometimes make jokes about that, yeah, as if to say to people, it's okay to joke about this. Because I think the instinct that you're obeying there, and I might be wrong, but when I do it, the thing that I'm doing is saying, hey, it's okay to talk about this, um, right. both seriously and, you know, with a certain amount of levity. And I think that's what you're doing. You're sort of sending them a signal saying, I'm, I'm happy to discuss this. It's not all ring-fenced, like... And, and I think some people get startled because they don't want that. They don't want that chat. Good girl. Oh, look, she's... Oh, they look lovely it's together. Visited. Lucky's met. Is that is that a whippet owl? Is that a great? What is that? Looks dog? like a mixture. The hounds all know each other as hounds, though, don't they? They, 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 definitely, they definitely say hello in a different way. <laughs> See ya. I'm learning more about the sight hounds. So you have a memory of your dad I've dying. I've got a few didn't memories you? of him, and I have memories of um, the sort of the aftermath of him dying and my mum meeting somebody else and all that stuff. We can go right here if you like. Yeah. There's quite a nice little bit along here. One of the things that I'm really grateful for is that my mum brought us up feeling free about talking about it. It was never a sort of cordoned off, uh, let's not discuss thing, which I think is really deadly. I think, you know, if you if you grow up thinking that there are some areas that are fenced off forever, mm -hmm. that seems to me to be like the recipe for growing up mad about something. Did it right happen amount. quite suddenly? Um, mm, well, yes and no. He got cancer and then was ill for a while and then died. But, mm. you know, at four it was suddenly to me because a lot of it, as it was taking place, I didn't know much about. How do you think we'll go, we'll go your dad dying, how did it impact you when you were growing up? How did it, do you think it changed you? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I don't do a huge amount of um, in the psychiatrist's chair stuff, but I imagine if I did, there's a really easy join from my dad dying to me doing comedy for a living. I think, you know, he died, we moved to England. Whenever we went back to Scotland, my relatives that knew him would talk about him and say how funny he was. Oh, he's a great bloke, it's such a shame. You know, it's a terrible thing about your dad. You know, what a fantastic laugh he was. And they would tell me about, you know, jokes that he would tell and impressions that he would do nicked off the telly. Like, um, and so I just think it's really obvious that and also my mum and my brothers are funny, so I think if you grow up in quite a funny family where humour is elevated above other things, I suppose it's like if you grow up in a sport family and, you know, you don't care how funny the rest of your class are, who's the best at football? But in my family, it was like, who's the funniest in the class? Yeah. And how funny was your dad was often discussed, and so I'm fairly sure She'll be back. Wow.
I hate to say something incredibly obvious, but Lockie's fast, isn't she? Whippets are really fast. <laughs> Hold the front page. <laughs> Wait till you see the greyhounds. I'll tell you what else are surprisingly fast. Have you seen poodles run? God, no? they can really shift. Really? Oh, man. They're among the few dogs that give her a little bit of a run for her money because sometimes she gets a bit cocky and assumes that she's going to outrun things. So she'll bark and then think that it's play. And then a couple of times she's sort of looked over her shoulder and gone, oh, God, that whippet's still there. <laughs> whippet, poodle. You know she's why I got so that word ugly. wrong? Because I was on. trying to not swear. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. We allow swearing, don't we? Oh, really? Yeah. It's now you told me that, it could be the most bleeped podcast you've ever Well, you put could out. be one. I think one of our podcasts, I can't remember, there's about two which have the red explicit mark on it. Oh, brilliant. And we'll have to remember who those are. You could join that. That would be great. Elusive group. The few general public members that know my stuff probably think I mainly do jokes about pizza toppings and <laughs> really, really sort of have you ever noticed stuff. Then he does a dog walk podcast and turns the air blue. That would be fun. I remember seeing something and it was really interesting to me that someone said, what sort of comedy... There's someone, I can't remember what they had, but they were saying they get very stressed and easily... And there's something they found about watching stand-up made them anxious seeing someone manic and needy oh, yeah, yeah. and sort of and they said can you recommend anyone who's not going to stress me out but will make me laugh and someone said you and Daniel Kitson oh that's nice which I thought was really nice because they said look he's funny but he's not neurotic essentially yeah yeah <laughs> sometimes it's it's nice to have these chats because like you forget that you do stand up in the way you like to see stand up and every now and again, I'll go on YouTube and watch comics that I like. And it's, it's interesting you say that, because they're nearly all... Laid back is the wrong word. That sounds like they don't give a, uh, enough effort. But what I really like is a sort of, I don't know, I suppose an assuredness. Or like, in football terms, I like to see a comic who's got a lot of time on the ball. Somebody that can, you know, trap it and look up. Yeah, yeah. See who they're distributing it to. And then uh, if it's needed, they'll keep the ball for a while. And I think this analogy may be running out. Well, I've got another analogy, uh -huh. which is if you were going to have a song which would sum up, I think it would be the difference between we have all the time in the world and i got to get through this. <laughs> yeah. Although um, um, there's a few audience members at my show that probably think my stuff is more like Golden Slumbers. <laughs> um, which is a great song, I'm not knocking it. When was that first sense of you being funny? Do you remember telling a joke at school or, you know, like Matt Lucas, who I interviewed on this podcast, he said he really vividly remembered being at school and doing an impression of the teacher and all the boys laughing and he felt, oh, oh my yeah, God, this is a thing. Oh, yeah, I had loads of moments like that. Did yeah, you? tons when? of them. It's really oh. weird because I read an interview with Ian Hislop once this is probably 20 years ago and he described the same moment where he fell in a puddle at school and everyone was laughing and he thought do you know what it's not that bad in here like for the amount of positive attention that i'm getting this puddle's all right like and and i had loads of moments like that i played when we moved to yorkshire i played football for a, a team in a place called Batty Ford, B-A-T-T-Y-E-F-O-R-D. But it was, uh, back then, it was Batty Ford Boys Club. It's now called Batty Ford Sporting Club, I believe, and, and girls are just as welcome there as boys. <laughs> there was an awards due, so each year they used to give out, like, Player of the Year, Most Improved Player of the Year, oh. and Clubman of the Year, right? 
and I won Clubman of the Year and Peter Swain, who was the manager, shout out to Peter Swain, I don't even know if he's still alive, but shout out anyway. He started his speech about Clubman of the Year. He said, I've not been great to this lad. I gave him man of the match one week and dropped him the next week. And I thought, oh, that happened to me. And, and then he said, he's undeterred. He's a really funny member of the squad. And I thought, it's me. It was really interesting. And then he said, he comes down with a new joke every week and the lads all think he's hilarious. And I thought, this is definitely me. And it was me. Yeah. And it was a real moment of, you know. That's my brand. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, that's how others, it's when others perceive you in a way, it like confirms what you suspect about yourself, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like we should temper <coughs> it with some of the many stories where this has gone wrong, but we'll leave those for later. But you, that's because you like to do that anyway. I do, yeah. <laughs> well. You like to dismantle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think there might be a, a certain level of career self-harm <laughs> that has gone into that. See, I consider it to be almost like a handbrake on arrogance because I have quite a big dislike of arrogance and when people come on like you know there are some people that can't bear the flavour of coriander there's some people that it tastes like there's I don't know bleach or something poisonous I'm in one their of them, dinner yeah. those people that hate coriander they have such a violent reaction to coriander I have a similar thing to comics who think they're important or uh, cool or interesting or whatever it is like those guys that are like yeah I've got all the answers you guys need to listen to me there's a bit of me can you just say something silly something silly where you're the victim I mean I suppose some people think this about me but that's because it's such a it's such a weird thing isn't it to do that two people can look at the same thing and come up with extremely different verdicts on it. Which way off? Um, straight up here? As regards me becoming a comedian, I honestly don't think it was that much about attention seeking. People sometimes say, oh yeah, you comics, and I think there's every stripe of comedian. I'm, I spend time in dressing rooms with a really varied population. Like, there's arrogant ones, there's really shy ones there's you know all of the, there's there's even some thick ones which you wouldn't expect but there are um but you know the majority i think are probably above average on the iq if you want to find out who those are there'll be a special limited edition podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. downloadable on our patreon account 7.99 <laughs> um, that's not true do you think you have to be clever to be a stand-up? Not always, no. I think you probably do to be a really good one that I like, but um, <laughs> to, be a, to be a jobbing one, no, I don't think so. I think you just have to be super confident and very thick-skinned. Um, but I think the, uh, the thing that really drew me towards it was that it didn't look like a real job. Like, I think I almost have a weird lack of confidence about participating in the real world. Um, and so I kind of thought, oh, that looks like a thing. I used, I remember this, even watching comics on telly, like when I was a kid, if, if Mike Yarwood or someone was on, or somebody on Wogan or Jimmy Cricket or something, like I remember thinking, oh, that looks like a job that would be much more desirable than all the other grown-ups seem to have. And so it was massively about job avoidance for me to become a comedian. But you, I don't know if you're conscious of that at sort of eight or nine, are you? 
Like I get that when you're a teenager and you're Maybe. starting to think about life, but that that to me. I don't know, you tell me, but as a, t as a kid, maybe you'll just think, this feels nice. This yeah. Is where we're going to go? Huh? Yeah, I think so. And I, then I think when I became a teenager, I think I sort of sublimated some of that and got rid of it. And I studied acting instead because I thought that was kind of next door to it. And you did drama. We should say as well, in terms of basic biographical information, obviously your dad had died, you were living with your mum and your stepdad and your two brothers... Yeah, my mum um, fell pregnant with my youngest brother, who has a different dad to me. Um, I'm not sure I would call him a stepdad, but that's probably just semantics. But yes, um, we lived with him and then uh, we moved to Yorkshire and then we separated from him. And then actually he died as well. Um, my mum's amazing, I should say at this point. She had a lot to cope with, didn't she? Yeah, but she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that I think is amazing and important about her to me in terms of, you know, what, what she put in, I think um, she never really let us use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, any of us. Like, it was always just, well, you know, we, we can't do anything but get on with it. Like, not that we weren't emotionally engaged. I think she was great at all of that stuff but um, I don't think we were uh, encouraged to dwell on it and use it as an excuse and I've certainly met people that had bad things happen to them in childhood who I think uh, were allowed to capitalize on it and not not get on with their lives and do well you sometimes there's really good expressions you quote on the show that we do with Frank sometimes that your mum and I remember them your All mum right. says things like, what's for you won't go by you or something? Oh, yeah, she's a big fan of that. Like, when I was an anguished teenager that wanted a girlfriend, she would say, what's for you won't go by you. <laughs> and, and I think the English have a less elegant version of it where they say, what will be will be, but it's not as, <laughs> you know... Well, that sounds a bit bloke in Yates's Wine Lodge talking about <laughs> yeah. football result, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, that's definitely not my mum. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> Spurs, what will be, will be. But <laughs> yeah, your that's mom... definitely not my mum. Although in this uh, time of gender fluidity, I suppose, <laughs> you know, she could well suddenly become that bloke in Yates's Wine Lodge. So when was your first gig, Al? Uh, <laughs> proper paid stand-up gig. Oh, proper paid. Oh, well, it doesn't I, have to I be paid. I, I mean, I well, I had really stuttering starts because I began when I was at um, drama school. So my first stand-up gig was 95, I think. Um, but then I couldn't really do much because back then there wasn't comedy clubs uh, that you could just drop in at in Cardiff. Now I think Cardiff's quite well supplied with comedy nights. This but is your, where you went to university to do drama, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and I, I couldn't get the gigs. So then I moved to London in 99, 98, 99. Um, and then I properly started late 99. And by 2000, I was starting to kind of get comparing and gigs that covered the petrol money. But again, we're, this is going to sound really arrogant, but because I'd been thinking about comedy for so long, because I'd, I'd sort of had a hunch when I was younger that that's what I was going to end up doing, 
I've spoken to other people that were starting out in stand-up and they had real doubts about whether or not they would become comedians. And I never really did. I just assumed that I would be pretty rubbish at some gigs, but it was all part of the process. Like, right. you know, I just thought, I remember talking to comics and saying, oh yeah, well, there's always a death in the post. Like, we're always going to die at some point. What does that mean? You mean die on stage? Yeah, yeah. Like, a bit tasteless saying that to you, given everything <laughs> you've had to go through. No, I mean me. Like, <laughs> um, I always just assumed that there would be like a, a few speed bumps on the way, that you'd have some really awful gigs like getting booed off in Luton. <laughs> but then I've True always story. maintained um, now but that <laughs> that's the difference between obviously someone who decides to do this for a living. Dying on stage to most people is utterly unacceptable. It's something you can't even think. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's the worst nightmare. It's the being outside naked. You well, know, you've now reminded me of a thing that made me really like Frank before I knew him. Like the second time I met him, we'd worked, I'd compared a gig and he was on, it was when he, it was, he was coming back to stand up. So I think it was like 2007. So this would have been like about four or five years before you came on to our show. Yeah, but Frank did some new stuff on the Tattershall Castle on the Monday night, which is a boat um, that has, a, a, uh, has a gig. Come on, Lucky. Um, and, and then the next night I happened to be hosting the gig that he was on at again. And there was a, <laughs> there was a comic on who was part of a double act, who I think is like a kid's entertainer or like does kid's TV or something now. And he kept, he kept asking Frank what I would call dinner party questions about comedy. So he was saying to Frank stuff along the lines of, um, oh, do you ever feel like just doing some of your old jokes, like if, if a gig's difficult? And Frank was going, no, it's not why I'm here. I'm here to do new stuff. And the guy was like, yeah, but if you're going really badly, like I, I know you probably don't ever, but if you were going really, if you were finding it difficult, is there not a temptation for you to lean back on some of that old stuff that you know is really great? And Frank was like, no, because I know that stuff works and I'm coming out to check if this stuff works. He wasn't being impatient with him, he was yeah. just very... And the, and the guy was like, um, yeah, yeah, but if it's really, like, tumbleweed, if it's a difficult thing... And Frank said a thing, eventually, where he looked at him and he went, to be honest, I'd rather just die. <laughs> and I thought, he's a real one. Like... <laughs> He's a real comedian, because a real comedian would go, yeah, yeah, I'd, just, I'd rather die and find out. You know, there's a live by the sword, die by the sword yeah. attitude to new material. Yeah, Because yeah. you're collecting data, that's the whole point in going out. Like, if you're already an established comic, you could just sit in your nice house. What's the point in going out and finding out that your old jokes work? He had a very specific mission, but I think about that quite often when I think of Frank. There's a J.K. Rowling quote, which is something along the lines of those who aren't curious and don't try things because they're scared of failure, you failed already. Yeah. The minute you give up and say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. So I suppose when you tell me that story, that's the whole... To me, that's the comic's life, isn't it? It's, it's, every day is a kind of curiosity, isn't it? Because every day is a new form of failure as well. Every day is like, is that going to work? Is this not going to? And yeah. every audience is different. Well, when they're doing new stuff, certainly that's how it feels. Yeah. I think once you've done the heavy lift of getting that stuff any good, yeah. it's more like you're just displaying it. And how do you feel about... Because you've done your fair share of panel shows, your Mock the Weeks. I'm not sure your... I've done my fair share. I think I did a... <laughs> 
I think I did a less than fair share, but that's probably my own fault for not being funny enough <laughs> on them. But uh, That might be the most Alan thing that you've ever said. <laughs> but yeah, you've, you've done, done a few panel shows, and how does that compare to you, to gigging? I'm not sure what I do entirely fits with the panel show vibe. So we're talking about sort of mock the week, have I got news for you, etc. Well, I've done have I got news for you and really enjoyed it, but there are fewer people on it and the, I suppose the, the glimpse behind the curtain is that I find that the people that make have I got news for you trust the guests to be funnier more, whereas some of those shows, they micromanage the guests and really bother them and don't, um, don't just go, OK, well, we've booked x number of funny people why don't we just let them be funny and film it and then we'll chop it together and make it into 28 minutes mm. um this is going to sound like a really weird thing but i did mock the week a number of times and i find it physically quite difficult to interrupt people i just i don't enjoy talking over people and it happens obviously like it happens on the radio between you me and frank but if I may be self-indulgent for a moment, I think the three of us have a sense of complicity where, you know, it feels like if somebody is being funny, you yeah. don't just chuck a, a sort of weird spanner in the works right yeah. as they're getting their flow. You sort of, in, you, you interrupt with a, a helpful flow as best you can. That's not always true on panel games and... Um, I think I'm a bit introverted, so if there's seven people being loud, shouting across each other, my temptation is to go, oh, OK, I'll just stop talking and let you all get on with it. And then if you ask me to say stuff, I'll say it. And sometimes on those programmes, you can do that and don't get asked. <laughs> do you think that's unusual for a comic to be introverted? No, I think quite a lot of them are, actually. I think I read a book about introverts and... Um, I think they're surprisingly prepared to act like extroverts in pursuit of a higher goal. And if the higher goal is being a comedian, then that'll do it. If it's being the CEO of whatever it is, then they'll do that. I don't think it... It's not quite as binary as saying that they're shy or not shy. It's... it's um, are we allowed to use the word binary? That's fine, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't even know what it means, but it's just in all the papers, so I chuck it out there. I did one of those online Myers-Briggs tests, you know, the personality thing, which I think it meant quite a lot to me when I read up what I was, uh, but I am also of the opinion that apparently some psychologists and experts think that it's basically like reading your stars in the papers, but it's not quite as crappy as horoscopes. But <laughs> on the ones that I did... I did a number of them, and I frequently came out as INTJ, which is the, um, the, the personality type of most baddies in films. <laughs> so, I think... <laughs> what? For, I, I didn't realise that baddies all, in films all had INTJs. Oh, honestly, they're all, all INTJs. Tests. They're all INTJs. Vladimir Putin, INTJ. Um, How do you know this? Uh, what's his name? The Unabomber, you know, the Unabomber, INTJ. And I watched that Netflix thing about the Unabomber and <laughs> in the moments where he was clever as a kid but a bit left out, I was turning to my wife and I was going, INTJ, I'll bet you he's an INTJ. Let's Google it. 
Um, yeah. So what does INTJ? Oh, this is we should say so. INTJ. Just put it in the show notes. Just put it in the show notes. They that's a quality. Google. INTJ is a quality that Alan has in common with Vladimir Putin and the Unibomber. Uh, what is INTJ? In case they're listening. INTJ people. This is nice, Al. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's not a bad dog walk. You wouldn't think that you were actually in the city of Manchester, though, Beautiful would you? here. It's really there's nice. There's nowhere like, as nice as this in London. Nowhere. Well, that was why we moved. We got, <laughs> when we did move, we moved from London to Manchester, and uh, lots of people reacted as if I was telling them that we'd taken up heroin. Like, <laughs> the North has got such a bad reputation in, in some parts of London, particularly in... Um, showbiz parts <laughs> I'd go oh yeah yeah we're moving to Manchester and be like are you okay <laughs> and then I started saying yeah it's three stops from Euston I live three stops from Euston and it is it's great I think a lot of INTJs end up being kind of mathematicians or architects or that not sort comics. of stuff not comics no um, because they quite like working alone apparently and they quite like a really long problem to solve but I think most of them have got better science and maths than me. But that could be that I just wasn't concentrating and perhaps I'm a dormant maths genius. <laughs> Although, um, here's a joke that I sometimes tell, not on stage, but off stage. I was so bad at maths, I actually failed my maths GCSE twice and then gave it up because I couldn't face failing it a fourth time. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you know what I love? That, that is an example of a really bad joke that no, I don't but like, use I love the stage. way that you do the little laugh <laughs> at the end of your joke, and it reminds me of Frank does that as well, <laughs> which is I would never have the confidence to do that. I tell a joke and then freeze, and then go, <laughs> and whereas you and Frank go, you tell a joke and then you go, <laughs> right. And I think, again, that's a, a funny comics thing I've noticed, which I'm quite fond of, actually. So, Al, I was going to ask you, where do babies come from? Although, well, get me here. a pencil, Charlie. <laughs> um, Just done this with my son. You've chosen this. <laughs> what some would say is quite an unpredictable career. Uh, yeah, stand-up comedy. Yeah. Loosely. We'll it's call not it an loosely. office job. It's not a job where you have security in the traditional sense, and every day is different, really. Uh, yeah. But then I would say. In your domestic life, let's just say, with your partner, wife, partner yeah, and wife, it makes wife. you sound like <laughs> with your wife. No, but it all sounds it's a, a bit partner and wife. wife. Yeah, we're, uh, what are it, they called? Polyamory. We're I polyamorous, just, like on sometimes the when I use Louis the word wife when I'm talking to a comic, I panic because it's so tarby. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very old school. My wife. Take my wife. Yes. Um, but with your wife and your your family, your kids. I don't know what age you were, but it seemed to me like you were keen to put down roots and settle yeah. down. At, uh, not too young, but you were late 20s or I something? I was 33. And, um, oh, am I talking about it? It was ancient. And it's, uh, <laughs> but you met your wife before that, had you? Like, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because I, well, I say it's interesting. It's interesting if you're even remotely interested in this next thought. Even as I'm saying it, I'm losing interest in it. But... But, uh, Can that be the trail? Because that sums up Alan as but, well. But, by the way, for a little while I did some jokes about how boring I thought I was. And they really worked at the Fringe and on tour, but did not work in comedy clubs on weekends. And I've, I've scrutinised it because I love a bit of um, self-comedy analysis. And I think the people that go out to like 500 seat comedy clubs on weekends, 
do not want a comic to stand there and tell them how boring they are <laughs> because they've paid a chunk and they think their lives are a bit boring and they sort of there's a very good Canadian comic, Tom Stade, who when he first came to England told me, um, possibly in a drunken chat, go out there and be a star, Alan. They don't want to see some dumb schmuck. They want to see a star. And, uh, and I, think, I think about it often, because when I was doing my jokes about how boring I was, at a theatre gig or, um, or at a festival, that's fine, because they've come to see you and they sort of know there's a tongue-in-cheek element to it. But... If you're doing it in a weekend club, I don't think they want you to tell them that you're boring. They want to see a star man. Well, um, I like the idea of you doing a TED talk, coming on saying, this is interesting. I mean, I say interesting, <laughs> if this is the kind of thing you happen to find interesting. To I be. want to go back to your domestic life and why you well, wanted to lock it down. Well, it I, I don't even think it's that. I think there was just a, a natural um, gravity setting. <laughs> I think people get bored and go, oh, OK, this is the next chapter. I've always quite liked that. Like, I, I've got friends that I think became the age they were really young. I felt immature until I was probably, I don't know, 23, 24, maybe even 25. And then I think life settled down and um, I'd become a comedian things started to fall into place I was getting paid gigs I was seeing my wife and and suddenly all the bits of the jigsaw click in and you start going oh I feel about the age I am now now I I quite like just being the age I am I think comics fall into two types there is the Gary Shandling a slightly tortured artist Uh and that tends to spill over sometimes into the private life yeah and then there's the other kind of comics, which are more common in terms of the ones that I know, but it's st- it, who are like, right, I do this slightly odd job, so right. I need stability at home. Yeah. Do you think there was a part of you thinking, I need to make sure my life is structured, or was it more just, oh, I, I fell in love and that's what happened? You yeah, know? I think I'm just quite lucky in that it hasn't gone belly up yet (laughs) notice I add yet because I'm such a fatalist that I assume that everything's coming to an end we got told off once because we went to a dinner party and I repeatedly joked about my wife and I ending up divorced and apparently that is not a thing that people do (laughs) what happened did the other people at the yeah they sort of said oh this is making us feel a bit uncomfortable (laughs) but um Again, it's that thing that we were talking about earlier. In fact, near enough in this exact spot of the yeah. walk, yeah. Of, um, I think if you say it, then you can make fun of it and then you're allowing everyone to get involved. Yeah. And obviously, if, if you are happily married, there's a bit of me that thinks the worst slash best thing you could do is, um, is, jo- is joke about it going terribly. And it, like that's the thing that you're not meant to joke about, isn't it? So surely that's the thing to joke about. Well, you've done material on that, haven't you? Which made me laugh because actually I was going to say, I remember the first time I met you and the first time I saw you, which sounds a bit creepy, but we were up there doing the Frank Skinner show and I saw you weren't on our show at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And me and the producer, Daisy, we saw you and you oh, had... Oh, I know which bit you're going to talk about now. That was one funny. of your children was on your shoulders... And it was just a very yeah, I had a, rom-com dad look. I had a bit of material about um, 
taking my uh, lovely little boy, who I think was one or two or yeah. whatever, uh, to the park and him looking so adorable that sometimes I thought, oh my God, you're so adorable. If anything happens to your mum and she dies, we are going to look so attractive. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was great. Like, I used to love doing that. What does your partner think of that? I keep saying well, your partner. I'm going to ask that too. Well, what does your wife think of that? Well, I had now? to... Here's the thing. We have sort of a, an undeclared agreement that she can be mentioned in the act, but I hate those comics that do loads of negative stuff about their partner and I just think like I see some comics on weekends going oh god my wife this my wife that and I think just leave me you're obviously not happy stop moaning about it to 500 paying strangers just leave and start a new relationship or do some other stuff like I so I never really would do that so the the deal was that you know I had this unbidden thought that we would look really attractive <laughs> in the event of her dying. And, uh, and I just had to make it as funny as it could be, like, and not make her look stupid. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, because I guess that you could say that's the, the role of the comic is to say the things, or to articulate the things that we don't say yeah. sometimes, you know, or we fear saying. Yeah. Um, well, the, um, and present it in a palatable way that makes us laugh. The jesters were the only ones that were allowed to make fun of the king, weren't they? Everybody else got their head chopped off for it. Yeah, but and... we can't do that to Frank. <laughs> 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 Frank is delighted if we're funny, he, I feel. I know, and, he is. And, and I, I don't know who I would go to London once a week to do a show with that isn't Frank, like, in terms of comic minds. Was he a hero of yours growing up? Yeah, I definitely. I growing up, he's going to hate that. It makes him sound like he's about 100. Yeah. But I mean, when you were a young comic starting out... Oh, yeah, I've told him this. Like, I, you know, all my mates watched fantasy football. Me and my mate Dave, shout out Dave, uh, we used to watch... Like, I'm sorry, Frank's, I really can't allow this. We used to watch <laughs> Frank's videos. Uh, that dates it a bit, doesn't it? And so when I started working with him, it's quite a big deal for me. The radio show has been really good for me in that regard because it's it? nice. Well, as a as a solo comic, you spend a huge amount of time on your own, and I think it can it can be a bit too solo warrior. See these trees that have fallen in the bad weather; it's oh, great, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So it it can lead to quite a lot of solitary time, and so even once a week doing a team show, it sounds silly, but things like going over the papers and saying how's your week been and all that stuff. That yeah. is not a thing that you get on the stand-up circuit unless right. you're in a team show. And I think that's sometimes why comics move off doing stand-up and become sort of tele-regulars or something, because the lifestyle is probably a bit nicer than being a solo comic. I think you're into life improvement. Yeah. Is that fair enough? Yeah, well, I, I think that stuff's really interesting. And I think this is where I do become a bit INTJ, because... So much of it is just remembering what's important, isn't it? And so I, I'm increasingly interested in stoicism, uh, you know, looking after yourself, like how you feel about things and letting feelings pass and then not become all day dominating. Do you get sad ever? Do I get sad? Yeah, yeah. but it's... 
Oh, this is the thing that we talked about. What's I think that? it's part of life, though. I was listening to a podcast interview with uh, the mentalist Darren Brown, who's written a book on happiness that I haven't read yet. But he's really interested in the Stoics, and he was saying that so was Freud before he started writing about analysis and all that stuff. And Freud's starting point was never that he wanted to make people happy, it was that he wanted re to restore them to their natural unhappiness. I think that's a really interesting idea, because you only have to walk out of your house, or flat, whatever you've got, dwelling, whatever. No <laughs> I love the idea of restoring your natural unhappiness, because you see it all the time, like you only have to walk out and you see people like that, that are artificially unhappy, they've put lots of extra unhappiness in from the way we live, our modern life, you know. You know, these people chomping on terrible foods and doing no exercise and constantly staring at gadgets. And you go, well, it's no wonder you're unhappy. You're actually extra unhappy. What, what you need to do is embrace being sad when you're sad, but the rest of the time, you know, be whatever you are. I, I'm interested so is that in that stuff. How, what you do, though? So if you feel... You know, I've got a running joke with my wife that I think I'm eventually going to become a miserable, motivational speaker. I think that would be really... I know what you're saying about the unhappiness. I think that's true. But do you think sometimes it's hard to access and, and people... You oh, want and distractions. I'm, by the way, I'm in no way belittling anybody who has, you know, actual yeah. difficult psychological problems that they need therapy for. I think... I assume that therapy is fantastic if it's done well. Have you had it? No. Would you have it? No, I've got a joke about it at the moment that um, I, <laughs> I don't have therapy because um, a lot of people I know that get therapy, they, they pay for it in order to not wait for the NHS. I'm a bit too stingy for that. So here's what I do. I tell people that I know for a fact are in therapy my problems and then I ask them to ask their therapist what they think. <laughs> So far, no feedback. I think they're all dealing with narcissism. <laughs> uh, there you go, a little bit of a there plug for Alan Cochran. Touring, 2019. Um, but do you think... <laughs> that's just one would of you many jokes Would you have therapy? Um, oh, do you... I'm not sure. OK. I think I'm... Uh, I probably there's stuff in there that I should do. But like what? I don't know, but there's probably some stuff where like I've got... Like your dad? I've probably got some patterns of behaviour that aren't, um, what do they say on American podcasts, optimal. I've probably got some suboptimal patterns of behaviour. But at the same time, you don't want to unpick all of them and become not funny anymore, do you? That's the thing that Frank well, says. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not having that. I'm but bad enough you... by just having figured out a few things. I've become really boring. Do you cry out? Do I cry? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes. When did you last cry? An expensive lunch. No, uh, not going to let that one slide. <laughs> You're going to have to act. act Pardon hello. me. Sorry. <laughs> I honestly can't remember the last time I cried. Life's been all right recently. I think, like we know this, anyone who's listened to this podcast would know this, is that you dismantle emotion a lot of the time. Yeah, Which I, I think... understand. So if I say, oh, when this, you'll say, well, I've got a joke about that. And that's quite, that's common to comics, I think, which is, it's like they didn't get into this game to start spilling on about feelings. 
This is something that I'm increasingly realising as I get older, that I am, I mean, I'm not even a sci-fi fan, but I think there is a bit of my personality type that is part Vulcan, where, you know, if, if someone tells me sad stuff, there's a bit of me that's kind of watching it going, oh, what are these feelings that this person is having? Um, See, I think that's not something I would ever have thought of you. Oh, no, but... I think that is a bit of me. I'm not saying that I don't have feelings. I'm just saying that sometimes I'm quite good at putting the um, brakes on reacting to them, whereas yeah. other people seem very... The moment in between feeling a thing and behaving, there is no moment. It's yeah. exactly yeah. like the next thing happens, whereas I'm a bit more... Um, oh, it would be um, possibly damaging to act on this right now. Not to yeah. say that I don't have a temper and don't sometimes make mistakes. Of course I do, but... I've never really seen your temper, though. Well, lucky you! <laughs> this is the local pub as well, which I can just say, that's how, that's traditionally the, the dog finds its way to the pub. <laughs> but you don't drink, do you, anymore? And I no. don't drink, and Frank doesn't drink, and I've decided that, oddly, uh -huh. um, you and I started off I say drinkers, we weren't drinkers in Real that booze sense. hounds. No, we weren't booze hounds. But, you know, it's weird that we've all ended up... It's not like I'm completely teetotal, but I don't really like alcohol, is what I've discovered. Yeah, I'm having ten years off, and then I'm going to get really drunk in my fifties. That sounds a great idea. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> I'm quite interested in habit-breaking, and I felt like it was possibly just becoming something that I did blithely, rather mm. than, you know, in a fun way. It's funny how many men I've talked to about this, and I've said, I mean, I did not have a drink problem. I just wasn't really Officer. drinking in a... Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> Your Honour. I was just becoming a bit like I was assuming that drinking was happening, which I think is really common in the UK because there's a drinking culture and it's so entrenched. And, yeah. And so, like, you know, if my wife and I watched some telly, we'd open wine and... You know, she might say, oh, I'm going to bed, and I'd stay up and finish the bottle, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the number of times that I've said that to men and they've gone, yeah. <laughs> I do that every night, what are you talking about? Your point is? Yeah, exactly. Since not drinking, I said to people, oh, I'm going to take 10 years off alcohol. Yeah. They got really annoyed, which I find weird. <laughs> and then I said, all right, I'll do one, and then if I enjoy it, I'll roll it out to 10. And I wouldn't say that I've necessarily enjoyed it, but I also haven't missed it that much. Yeah. And then... Uh, Frank always says um, he thinks it's a gift to your children. A gift to your children to not, not drink. drinking, because he says... Oh, well, I better stop that. I don't like to shower them with gifts. <laughs> he said he thinks it makes you a better parent. What oh, do you I think, think that's that? true, yeah. He what? says it's because you don't worry about a parent coming through the door thinking what they're going to be like. Yeah, yeah, I think that is true. Even though I'm not at all pro-prohibition. I wanted to say something to you, which I've noticed about you. Uh-huh. We've been working together for... How long is it? Eight know, years? Six, something? Eight. Something yeah. like that. And it's a chunk. One thing that I've noticed... Get less for murder, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> As people um, say about marriage. <laughs> one thing I've noticed about you... Oh, God. ..is that you've uh -huh. gone... You've hit all your marks in the, the sentence of life, if you like. To me, anyway, you have. So you've hit all those punctuation marks. You know, you've got, you've got marriage, you've got the kids, you've got the dog. You are a right. dog family now. 
This is sort of what I mean about being my age, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Different Not words. everyone does that. Yeah. And I, what I feel sometimes, as someone who hasn't gone down that path and has done things a bit differently and all that sort of stuff, and never sort of joined the dog families, I sometimes feel people can be a bit, but what's wrong with you? What are you doing? And why aren't you like us? And in the whole time I've known you, I've never, ever felt judged by you. I feel there's a tolerance about you. What you say about behind my back, I don't know. <laughs> but to my face, it's interesting to me that, because it's unusual is what I mean, because often I think there is that sense of, why are you doing it that way? Do it my way. Right, well, that's interesting. And I like it. I'd rather not be one of the um, people, people judging other people's lives that much. I mean, I suppose it does go back to what we were talking about earlier about my relationship. I do see it as being fluke rather than design that I've hit all those marks. Do you? Because I think I'm much more eccentric than people realise. Hiya. Hello. There's only a few things have to not happen at certain points that could have led me to a much weirder personal life or, you know, a much more odd version of what I've ended up. Not sure if this makes sense, but well, you know no, what I mean. Well, no, it does totally make sense. But also, I mean, I'm really interested in you saying that because as you were saying it, I suddenly was thinking about how you lost your dad, and I don't know. I think on a very subconscious level, perhaps that opens up a portal towards life isn't always what you plan. You know, so you're able to think of life in a slightly different way. Just a small thing, but it means that you're used to adjustments and the unexpected. And yeah. you're perhaps less rigid about how things work. Yeah, yeah. Because you know? your life was sort of blown apart, essentially, when you were quite young. There's probably something in my brain that doesn't think that unconventional is therefore wrong. <clears throat> because, That's, you yeah. know, I was at school when single parent families were uncommon. And the ones that did happen were massively kind of the first wave of divorces happening in like and and so to be a single parent family and at the time the Tories were in and there was quite a lot of stigma against single mums it was all sort of a bit of mum blaming which I never really understood or got along with uh, but that could just be that I was seeing my mum put in a massive effort and feeling defensive of her yeah but but yeah I don't I don't really associate different with bad even though, like on the surface, my life is really quite conventional. You know, we've got the kids and the dog and the house and the car. And, um, um, do you ever see a, a life where you wouldn't do stand-up? I never used to be able to, and it's kind of weird because my, my most recent stand-up show is probably my favourite. But there is a bit of me that thinks, oh, I wonder how long this has got because I do feel like there is a sort of a, a new landscape developing where you only have to say one thing that's out of line with the, the kind of mentality of the Twitter mob or whatever, and you know, you could end it all. My tendency is not to take on that battle, it's to sort of go, oh well, fine, I'll leave it then, I'm done. Ow. Pampas grass. Oh, perfect. Do you know what that means? I do know what that means. What does yeah. it mean now? I think we've joked about it on the show. What does you it know mean? What? There's very few subjects Ooh. that come up now that I don't think we've done that on this on this Frank Skinner what show. What does it mean now? Um, isn't it um, like Swingers. Swingers Paradise? 
think it might be an old folks home so it's swingers you know, any, any port in a storm there probably swingers thinking. have pampas girl he's changing the subject i think they're his swinging I wasn't, friends I was, I was very much on subject clearly swinging friends <laughs> <laughs> so are you doing your grappling still uh yes tomorrow morning i will be going back there grappling we should say again we talk about it on the frank skinner show with al but it's well you I, call it grappling we a, call it kung fu fighting i do a martial art called brazilian jiu-jitsu as indeed everyone should and i will say this emily yeah i am not good at it but it's a really great thing for me to have found i'm so glad i did Is yeah. it like a sort of not meditation but it's so good for me not just socially which it is like i've met loads of people that i wouldn't have been friends with through it there was a point when we moved to manchester about two years in where my wife turned to me and she said just to be clear alan are you absolutely fine not trying to make any friends up here? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm absolutely fine with that. And now, in a weird twist of fate, I have so many people that I would call friends through jiu-jitsu that I can go for lunch with. I can, like, if, it sounds stupid, but if we need someone to look after the dog, I contact yeah. Nick from jiu-jitsu. Like, if I wanted somebody to help me move some furniture tomorrow, I would probably text three jiu-jitsu guys. I was going to say, and not me. For that not one. you, no, no. <laughs> when I've been talking about it, and I don't think everyone gets this from it, but I get this, it's like microdosing resilience. Because if somebody can literally make you submit with a joint lock or a strangle, and then you, you submit, you literally tap on their shoulder and they what let it go. What do you say? Do you say submit? Sometimes you'll say tap, but most of it is just that. You do a double tap on them and they, they let go of whatever it was. But then what happens next? Do you get up and go home? No, you don't. You, you slap hands and you go again. And it's amazing. Like, right. literally, someone's just been at the point of being able to seriously hurt you. And then you go again. Like it's, so is it, it's an acknowledgement. It's a metaphor yeah. for life. Yeah. Um, that is a great metaphor for life. I mean, oh, Chumba Wamba did it in their own way. But you know not what, I love some of Chumbawamba's music. Oh, we're getting near your house now. I've really enjoyed my walk with you. Oh, and I wanted yeah, to say I've enjoyed some... it as well. I'm sorry I was so self-deprecating. But the way you say I enjoyed it is this, again. Oh, <laughs> I've enjoyed it as well. <laughs> if you, have you ever seen those books, The Tower of Pooh? Yeah, yeah. Tower of Pooh's great. You're going to you compare know... me to Eeyore? No, I was going to give you the opportunity to compare yourself <laughs> to Eeyore. <laughs> well, it's been done. One thing I wanted to say to you. Oh, yeah. You're someone who people are always nice about. Whenever I meet that. people and they say, and you mention Alan, they go, oh, and a little smile plays on their lips and they look right. happy. Isn't that nice? That is good. I'll take that. Thank you very much for that. Notice he didn't return that. <laughs> I was just thinking, should I? <laughs> no, don't lie. It's on the podcast. Like um, Al, I've loved our, I've loved you, our walk. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I have. Thanks. Sorry about your numbers dropping when you put it on your podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.